Hi, Evan. Yo, what is going on? Not much, man. What's up with you? Not much. Uh, Sancho is next to me, and uh, he keeps begging for attention. So, cool. Yep. Well, uh, he's shit out of luck for the next <laughs> hour or so. Yeah. You know. Yep. Because yep, I, he is I... our unofficial third mic. Mm-hmm. He occasionally makes it onto the recordings. Yeah. I've mm-hmm. actually never. Yeah, you have. Or, you have once. You mentioned it to me. Yeah, no, I know, but like, I when I listened back to the episode, like I couldn't even hear him. Oh, yeah. I heard it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um. So yeah, it's what is it? The eleventh of July. It's the eleventh of July, folks. And yep. uh, we've been doing Left Unread now for like what, like a year and a half, a year and three quarters. Yeah, first episode no, came out February 2021. Yeah, Valentine's Day. Or that's when we recorded it. I don't know, it's around then. Um, and, yeah, we're entering what will almost certainly be our best month after last month, which was our best month. So thank you for listening. Yep. The Jimmy Fallon gong bump is real. It is, yeah. Um, <laughs> thanks to all of his listeners who kind of migrated over. And hopefully we can retain some of you because mm-hmm. we're happy that you're here. Um, yep. So, yeah, we're just, uh, I guess, excited. It's been fun. Yes. Um, what's new with you? Well, before we go any further, I believe you have a mea culpa from the first episode. Oh, yeah, I don't even remember what it was. It was the axolotls you said. Oh. That I was wrong about where the axolotls were from. Y- yeah, I'm still not 100% because I looked into it. Um, you said that they were... No, 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 no. I said that they were from the lakes... Around Mexico City. Right, but those lakes didn't exist back then is what I was trying to say. They did exist back then. They don't really exist now, but the bodies of water that were those lakes are still there, and that's where the axolotls still are. Okay. And you said I was just flat out wrong. Yeah, well, yeah, that's... Mea culpa for Cam. Yep, via Evan. Yep. Because I'm not going to say it. I have forced you into the mea culpa. Yeah. I was right, and you were wrong. Yep. And you called me wrong. Hey man, any any opportunity to make you feel big is, is worth <laughs> it for me. So Well see, no, you tried to make me feel small. And now no, I am no, on top. I, I, that wasn't my goal at all. I think it if you goal. did feel small, <laughs> hey, that's on you, bud. I did not. Uh, okay. Because I knew I was right. Okay. And history has absolved me. Yeah. This is definitely feeling like the like the, the stance of a of a of a man who was confident. Oh I am absolved of all <laughs> All okay. wrong doing. Well, a very you, perfect, very legal call. You heard, you heard it here first, <laughs> folks. Uh, Evan was right. Thank you. Um, so Sancho yeah, agrees. I'm sure he does. He, he'd <laughs> side with whoever gave him the food, you know. Um, eh, well, well. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I don't know him too well. Maybe I mean, he, he would eat me if he was bigger. Yeah. Yeah, he would definitely eat me. He'd like toy with you and then eat you in a in a fucked up way. I yeah. saw a cat uh, like tormenting a baby bunny the other day while I was driving. Oh god! I was with my cousin and I I tried to pull over, and uh, he was like, "Dude, what are you gonna do? Like, you can't yeah, like, kill the cat." And I was like, "Yeah,", yeah. but it was yeah, no, it was I, fucked up. Dude, yeah, I had these two cats growing up, and they were outdoor cats. We would just let them go outdoors because my dad. He was just like, yeah, no, we're not doing litter box. Hates litter boxes. They'll be outdoor cats. These two psychopaths were like the terrors of oh, yeah. my street growing up. Uh, they would just, I mean, dude, they killed fucking everything. Yeah, they say that house cats 
like whatever you see them mm-hmm. kill or like whatever evidence you see of their killing, they're killing like four times more than that on average. Yeah. They're one of the most destructive uh, introduced species in any environment yeah. they are introduced yep. to. Um, yeah, they're like very, yeah, they're apparently uh, quite bad <laughs> for the environments yeah. to have like outdoor cats. I mean, dude, these things were like just constantly coming up with like little moles and like other rodents. Mm-hmm. They would just like walk up, just drop them all over the place. They were killing birds. They were killing rabbits. Uh, one time a cat chased a rabbit into the pool and le- watched it drown. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that's intense. Well, well, yeah, they're they're interesting animals for sure. Apex yeah. apex predators. Um, yeah. but people like them and like convince themselves that they're cool to have around. I'm like, Sancho's awesome as hell. Yeah, he's he's cool. There are cool cats for sure. I'm just yeah. like not sold on cats in general. Like the same way that I am with dogs. Like dogs, pretty much blanket. Like I just like every dog. Yeah, and uh, I blame any any dog behavior on either trauma or like human Mm -hmm. error you know but uh yeah cats are not like that i feel like cats are and that you know i guess yeah some cats are just born mean and that's why cat people like them because they're like oh my god they're just like us everyone's different it's like yeah but like just like us i don't fucking like all of them yeah that's not why i like them yeah, but I'll, that's just an argument I've heard from a lot of cat people that are like, uh, oh, like, yeah, cats are just, they're doing their own thing. I'm like, that sucks. I mean, I like cats because I can have a pet and it just does its own thing. Yeah. That work. Yeah. I, you know I, what I should... mean? Like, it would be tough to have, like, a dog. Mm-hmm. But you guys do have a dog. It's not mine. And no, I don't I know. have to, like, drive home from work to feed it and yeah. for, like, lunch or something like that or take it out. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> yep. True. Um, I should clarify by saying that I am still sort of vaguely in the process of trying to get a cat, so <laughs> it's not like yep. I'm some anti-cat guy. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's been a weird couple of weeks. I don't know if there's anything else worth talking about. I definitely don't want to do nine no. hours of us chit-chatting. Yeah, yeah no. Because I just, I feel like I'd be forcing it. Yeah, nope. I got, I got nothing, nothing to say to you. Well, yep. I do, but just about a very particular. You actually have topic. a number of pages to say to me. Yeah, I've got a lot of well, things to say. Yep. Um, but before we begin, and this is something that we haven't had in a while, thanks to our recent boost in listeners, uh, we actually received uh, an offer to do an advertisement on today's episode. So you know, and Evan and I, we've talked uh, at length about the fact that we'll pretty much advertise any product on this show, um, <laughs> anything to make a buck. So. Uh, I, without further ado, let's do that and then we'll start the show. So, Evan, uh, do you like meat? No, it's all right. Yeah? Yep. I mean, I watched you house some meat the other day. You seemed to like it. Uh, well, I ate a pretzel. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> anyway, me, t- me too. Uh, and if you're anything like me, uh, your favorite part of carving into that hot slab of steaming meat on your plate is the juice, right? The meat juice. 
<laughs> so, yeah. um, did you ever wish that you could have just the juice? Uh, yeah, sure, yes. Mm-hmm. I've always wanted to have just the juice. Nice, dude, me too. Well, <laughs> now, thanks to their patented meat juicing process, uh, the fine folks at Dr. Fantastics have found a way to isolate that extreme pleasure that you feel when you sop up that hot juice into a refreshing beverage experience. Dr. Fantastic's Meat Breeze Coolers. Uh, that's right, folks. Uh, the same people that brought you the flavored catheter are taking over the chilled, sparkling beverage game. Uh, yep. Our crisp, refreshing, lightly carbonated Meat Breeze Coolers come in all sorts of fun flavors. Slammin' Strawberry Steak, Pineapple Pork Punch, Lemon Lime Lamb, uh, all available in your local grocer's refrigerated section next to all the other fine sparkling beverages. Uh, Dr. Fantastics makes all their drinks out of 100% natural meat juice, uh, and they're packaged and shipped sustainably because they care about our shared environment. Uh, Meat Breeze coolers are non-alcoholic, but don't let that stop you. Uh, add a little <laughs> zip of Jamaican rum and some mint, and you've got yourself a meat mojito. A momito. Uh, beat the heat with the meat you can't beat. Dr. Fantastic's <laughs> Meat Breeze Coolers. All right. Well, thanks again to Dr. Fantastics. Uh, they've, yep. they've supported us in the past, and uh, we're, we're happy to espouse this fine beverage. I've actually got a Meat Breeze Cooler here. Uh, this is the... Uh, this is the uh, the chicken michelada, which is really uh, going down smooth. So uh, they do say that I should allow for uh, a, a period of physical unwell uh, after <laughs> about an hour of consuming. So let's try to power through this one so I can spend some time on the toilet before work. All right, great. Yeah, no, I'm a big fan of the lemon-lime lamb. Mm-hmm. It's so. gamey. Yeah, it's gamey. Yeah. Um, all right, cool. Well, now that that's out of the way, I suppose there's nothing else to do other than what we always do at a certain point. Yeah, let's start the show. We'll just start the show. Welcome back, folks. Uh, this is uh, our return to uh, the, 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 the multi-part series I promised you um, prior to us securing the bag and getting Jimmy Fallon Gong on here, um, yep. where we were talking about the Aztecs. Um, you remember that? I, I have a vague recollection yeah, of the you, Aztecs. You told me it was but your t- favorite one that we ever did, so I feel yeah, well, like... Well, today we're, today we're going to talk about 
the undisputed heroes of history. Yeah. Um, I'd like to preface this episode, actually, and I don't remember <laughs> if I included this in here because I didn't want you to read it before I said it, but uh, my co-host is is an unrepentant uh, Portuguese-American. Yeah. He refuses to acknowledge this yeah. as a shortcoming. Um, and, I mean, uh, come at me. Proud I'm Luso-American. <laughs> and <laughs> so there will likely be uh, moments throughout our, our, our dialogue this afternoon where uh, uh, he... He attempts to make the case that these people were good, and uh, you know the Iberians are hero, are history's heroes. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so They've never, never, <laughs> ever made any mistakes except for a few, uh, really, uh, a few times that we don't talk about. Yeah, for sure. You know, mu- much of the 20th century. <laughs> well, we're going to talk about um, <laughs> including that <today. laughs> the reason my family came here. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, we'll probably do episodes on that. I would assume, right? Not your family specifically, but on the the, oh, the Estado Novo. Yeah, because I yeah. that's I remember learning about that in school. Anyway, um, yeah, it's a really cool one. Uh, there's also it's also extremely likely, and maybe not. Maybe me mentioning this will stop him from doing this. But it's extremely likely that even though we're talking about a, a predominantly Spanish narrative today, and I'm going <laughs> to use Spanish pronunciations, he'll probably prove to you that he knows how to say stuff kind of Portuguesey, because uh, he can't help it. He likes it. He's proud of it. I'm not going to stop him. It's not a bad thing. But just be be aware that whenever he does that, we're, that's not really how we're just we're talking about Spain today mostly. We're gonna leave the Portuguese kind of mostly. Yeah, out I mean, of, we're not talking about Brazil. So. Yeah, I mean, I am gonna mention it a little bit at the start because we're gonna do some backstory. But or the um, Guianas. Yeah, exactly. Um, cool. So with that little tidbit out of the way, you know, <laughs> I don't want to discourage Evan's participation. Just be aware that. His Portuguese stuff. I am I am flying the flag right now. Yeah, he can't help it, and no. and and I stopped expecting him to a long time ago. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so yeah, so in part one of this series, which came out a couple of weeks ago, uh, we discussed in in fairly truncated terms because uh, there's a lot to talk about, but. Um, we talked about the migration of the various Nahua peoples uh, from southwestern, what is now the U.S., uh, into central Mexico, um, the basin there around that big lake system. You remember we talked about the lakes. Um, and that took place in, the I think, the 12th through the 14th centuries. Um, we also talked about one particular group of people, uh, the Mexica, who were the last of the Nahuas to march south and were thus forced to kind of be the scrappy, uh, tough uh, up-and-comers over the course of the ensuing centuries, and they kind of wheeled and dealed and fought their way uh, to the point where, lo and behold, at the end of our first episode, they were kind of the undisputed masters of that central Mexican valley. Uh, you, You with me so far? I'm right here. All right, brother. We're, we're, we're summer, we're summarizing, we're summing Mm -hmm. up. Um, (laughs) <laughs> so we, we talked a good bit about their culture. There's a lot more to talk about uh, and the ways in which they kind of innovated and in a, in a fairly short amount of time. Um, and we're going to talk more about that in part three. Um, we're going to kind of come back to the sort of what should have been the golden age of the Aztecs or the Mexica or whatever we want to call them um, and how that was sort of cut short by events beyond their uh, foresight or control. But... Um, we need to do a, a quick shift uh, to another part of the earth to kind mm-hmm. of frame the opposing force that's going to make up the, I guess, sort of in our framing, the bad guys, I'd like to think of our narrative here. Um, but, you know, 
that's I suppose debatable. Uh, yeah, very highly debatable. Yeah, and and it has been highly debated, um, and will be. Sure, sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh my God, I do not, I do not want to <laughs> buy WinZip. <laughs> this is such a bad time for this. No, yeah. this offer only comes once a year, really, because I get it every fucking time I turn on my computer. Yeah, uh, <laughs> well, it's, it's that same one offer, and then they just. Yeah. Give you a new one for the next if year. If it's forty percent off all year, then that's just the price of your product. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, anyway, anyway, I digress uh, unwillingly. <laughs> um, so I think it's pretty clear that you know I I love Mesoamerican history. I think that shined through, and uh, I hope that continues to shine through. But we're not really going to talk about it today, uh, and I'm going to do my best to not not be. Uh, coming across as super pro conquistador um but you know i I also want to be kind of fair and and balanced and you know like i said i don't want to overtly disrespect my my good buddy's people uh his his mustachioed uh comrades so um we'll we'll try to keep this uh uh measured without venturing fully into the realm of like pro imperialists uh western (laughs) white dude bullshit um, which, you know, obviously we are, but we try to mask that for the purposes yeah. of the show. <laughs> I routinely take the pro-imperialist stance. Yeah, it's, well, you it's know. famously where my love of America comes from. Right, we like winners. And, um, <laughs> you know, that's why this past 4th of July I was I was shooting Roman candles just nonstop. Mm-hmm. You know, you gotta show your love. Yep. The red, white, and blue, baby. <coughs> USA. 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 Um, so yeah, so we're gonna, as I sort of briefly mentioned at the start, we're gonna backtrack a little bit. Um, the name of this episode is Cortez the Killer, right? And so that's a bit of a spoiler. We're gonna talk about Hernan Cortez, who's, who's ostensibly the main topic of this episode, but he doesn't really come into it until like halfway through. Um, so cause I want to do a lot of classical spelling as well. Yeah, that's back in vogue. Um, that's mm-hmm. the spelling that you'll see most people using with the S, not the Z. Um, I tried to use the contemporary Spanish spellings of names as much as I could. Um, so, oh, also, I would like to, um, before I forget, because there's a good chance I didn't write it in here, um, but before I forget, the the book that I'm using for the, the vast majority of this episode, I, hold on, I'm just going to... Just gonna. If I forget the name of the author, I'm just not very good at this. Um, yeah, so I've been using this really awesome book called Fifth Son, um, which is a, a pretty amazing um, history, particularly of the, the Aztecs or of the Mexica people. Um, and what's great about it is that it uses a lot of uh, contemporary Nahuatl sources. Um, so. Obviously, the Aztecs had a written language. It was a very complex system of pictographs. That was weeded out pretty decisively by the the Spanish um, when they invaded. And all their primary source material, their their writings of their own histories and stuff, were just rounded up and pretty much burned. But the language didn't die. People still speak it today. And so in the century following Spanish conquest, lots of young, aspiring, uh, Nahuatl-speaking um, historians would interview, you know, their parents and grandparents who had lived in pre-imperial Mexico. And so this book utilizes a lot of that. Um, the language was converted into the Latin alphabet. 
So it's pretty cool. Um, it doesn't deal a huge amount with Cortez and with the Conquistadors until they arrive in Mexico. So a lot of today's episode is from outside sources, articles from online, things like that, stuff that I read mm-hmm. in college. A lot of this is just things I kind of remember. So, um, But that is like our primary source for this series. And it's a really, really interesting read, a really cool book. So just wanted to make sure I mentioned it. It'll, it'll basically provide the entire narrative for part three because that's where things start of re- sort of really get juicy. Um, so yeah, we want to we wanna rewind a little bit. Um, so as with most great stories in history, ours begins at the climax Portugal. of another. Um, <laughs> not in Portugal immediately, but I'll, like I said, I'll, we'll mention them. And <laughs> in those moments, you are allowed to express your uh, pleasure. Um, so that in this case, we're talking about the Iberian Reconquista. Or, you know, if you've got to do it, you can do it. You want to do it? Your episode, go for it. Reconquista. But yeah, so we're using Spanish pronunciation. So, so, oh, I did include. I wrote it in there about how you might subvert me. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, you have a lot of uh, a lot of preempted subversions going on. I do. Yeah, I'm really concerned about. Well, you know, the way we started the show, where you tried to force me to say sorry, which is just a thing I will never and have never done. uh, I'm. I don't know. I'm. Maybe I'm just on edge. I wanted our fans to see you. Squirm away See me from flounder. your culpability. <laughs> See me flounder like an axolotl oh, yeah. in the se- central He's Mexican like, oh, no, basin. Still, no, even though I'm, I'm wrong, I'm still kind of right. No, I, I actually don't give a fuck. You're totally right. I just, I just, that was all uh, an act for the show. I know. I yeah, know. I, I did, I did admit I was wrong uh, in private, yeah, in private text. conversation. <laughs> yeah, private, and I will happily will admit that. Do I, it on air. Outside no, of the bit, I will happily you have to admit keep that up I was the kayfabe. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. This, it's like it's like how Kane and the Undertaker were brothers. Like you know, it's just it's a bit. No, yeah. Evan was totally right about the axolotl. Or what? That uh, the big show is. Uh... Uh, oh, the giant sun. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, uh, Reconquista, or Reconquista, um, in, in, in Portuguese and Spanish, and then in various Iberian dialects, is the word, it means reconquest, uh, which mm-hmm. is pretty, makes a lot of sense. Um, it refers to the centuries-long struggle uh, by the Christian lords of northern Iberia against the Muslim rulers of the southern Iberian pe- peninsula. Um, now I'm, I'm not going to do an exhaustive, uh, Reconquista episode here. Um, that is something that I think would be really fun yeah. for us to do. You know, like how we did Rome. Yeah. We yeah, could no, maybe I, do like I, a, I, like a Reconquista week. Cause it's so cool or month. Yeah. Right? Uh, it has doing a episode or episodes on LC has been on my list since yeah. like we started. Yeah. That's <sighs> a, that's a, that's an excellent, um, subtopic to to talk about but i am going to go into for for our purposes a fair degree of depth here because i do feel like this is really important uh to kind of frame you know much like we last episode spent a lot of time discussing why the mexica were so driven to kind of achieve the heights that they did and and you know they kind of came up with a chip on their shoulder whatever we're going to attempt to sort of do the same thing in establishing the rise of the conquistadors conquistadores um so, uh, the Reconquista, um, it lasted about 800 years. Uh, it's a really long period of time. <laughs> yeah. So, we're going to cram that into about 15, 20 minutes. Um, so, as many of you probably know, 
or maybe you don't. And if you don't, I'm happy to be the one to clue you in here. Uh, after the death of, of the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon peace him. Peace be upon him. Uh, oh, you actually did put that. Yeah, oh, I didn't even see that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, in 632 CE, uh, dude, I really hope that triggers like three people. I would love it. Uh, <laughs> I didn't even see that you put that in the notes. <laughs> in 632 CE, uh, Islam virtually exploded out of the Arabian Peninsula um, and through a stunning series of wars and conquests, uh, it just sort of became the dominant religion in a massive part of, of uh, the globe. Um, it should be noted that not all of these uh, quote-unquote conquests were like super violent. There definitely were people that were just like, this makes sense, I'll join this. Um, but some of them were, many of them were. Um, mm. So it's sort of a mixed bag. I never really know what to call this expansion, so we're just going to call it an expansion because it was. Uh, Islam blew up. It just became a huge dominant cultural yeah. force. And many, many, many peoples... Uh, who had previously been devoted to all sorts of religions, Zoroastrianism, Christianity, Judaism, you name it, Buddhism, um, all kind of fell into the Muslim world. Uh-huh. Um, now, this 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 Muslim world, uh, to varying degrees, was ruled by caliphs or caliphs or, uh, or I don't know. People say it all sorts of ways, but yeah. I usually default to caliph because that's how I heard it. When yeah, I was that's how I learned it in college. Yeah. Um, so caliphs were considered to be by their main adherents and again we're gonna blast through this because we could get into the whole sunni shia split and who's a legitimate caliph and who's not we're not really gonna do that today so you know don't don't be upset um it's not because we don't care it's just that's not the episode today um they were considered muhammad's both religious and administrative successors on earth uh so to put things into kind of the way i think of it like an easily digested terminology for western folks they were sort of like imperial super popes uh they were both religious and temporal leaders of the highest authority um and that's again super simplifying it it's a lot more complex than that but um and the realm ruled by a caliph was a caliphate uh, or a caliphate um You've probably heard that term thrown around in modern politics because certain entities have attempted to reestablish a caliphate, um, but uh-huh. one has not really existed with any legitimacy since the fall of the Ottoman Empire. Mm-hmm. Um, so the first of these caliphates, uh, the Rashidun, um, consolidated power in the Arabian Peninsula and then made massive headway into the surrounding territories in all directions except for south because that's the ocean. But they would have gone there if they could have. Uh, these were the direct descendants of uh, Muhammad or his relatives. I think it was his uncle Abu Bakr who was the first caliph. Um, <clears throat> so pertinent to our story, they expanded to the west through North Africa, uh, conquering many of the Berber peoples, uh, Egypt, etc. Uh, after the Rashidun Caliphate gave way to the Umayyad Caliphate uh, in 632 CE, we see this expansion really sort of take off uh, with much of the Middle East, North Africa, um, the Eastern Anatolian region, this all falls under the, the purview of the caliphs. And so the Umayyads, basically unchecked in their success at, the, at this point, uh, set their sights on Europe in 711 CE. Uh, and under the sixth caliph, Al-Walid, they went to war with the Visigothic kingdom of Hispania, which was ruled at this time by a king named Roderick, or mm-hmm. Ro- Rodrigo. Uh, um, so yeah, uh, I wanted to just quickly mention, yeah, the Visigoths, they're those Visigoths, if you are at all a fan of Roman history, uh, mm-hmm. one of the splintered tribes of the, the Goth people, um, who they battled the Romans, I believe they sacked Rome, uh, they eventually mm-hmm. came to dominate Iberia after the fall of the Western Empire. Uh, yep. But again, we're moving on, no time. 
Um, yep. So, but they are a Germanic but they were the people. Ones, there was also the Swaby. Mm-hmm. The Swaby. There was also the Swaby. Oh, of course, there were tons yeah. of. So they were just the like the political and social yeah. elite. Um, there were native uh, Iberians, Celtiberians, who were like a mm-hmm. blended Celtic Iberian culture. There were still um, Latin peoples. There was a, a Hispania has been yeah. diverse for a very long time, um, but the ruling elite were were Visigoths, and mm-hmm. that was the dominant. Uh, political cultural force um, mm-hmm. that would have been the court culture and court language for those of us who are CK3 fans um, <laughs> by the way uh, just as a side note um, that's probably part of why I go off so much on the Reconquista the new uh, uh, Iberia flavor pack update to that game is fucking yeah, I haven't played it yet dude it's I've I played took a it look real quick but I haven't played it yet way too much way too yeah much. it's so good um, so anyway, I digress. So the Visigoths were Christians, um, and nominally Catholics at this point, that was not a super defined thing. Um, you know, there were still many branches of Christianity, Nestorianism and Arianism and whatever that were kind of all over the place. And, um, Catholicism wasn't quite as dominant in the sense that we would consider it now, um, in Europe, but it was, you know, the Pope in Rome was still the, the big swing and dick and the Visigoths, you know, were, were of that ilk. Um, and so when the, the, the Muslims invaded Hispania, this was a big deal, um, because they were seen as heretical. Um, and so this is the largest to date, uh, conquest of, of Christian lands, uh, by Muslim rulers. Like I said, they had absorbed other Christian peoples in the Mideast, et cetera, but, um, never to this degree. And certainly not in Europe, which was, you know, kind of insulated at this point. Mm-hmm. So in short measure, nearly the entire Iberian Peninsula is under Umayyad control, and they set their sights on France. However, uh, the Pyrenees and this Frankish duke uh, named Charles Martel uh, squashed those plans at the Battle of Tours uh, in 718. And so Hell yeah. that was sort of the furthest extent reached by Muslims into Europe, um, unless you count Iberia, which some people do. I'm not Iberia, rather. Um, everybody counts Iberia. Uh, Anatolia, mm-hmm. rather. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, pretty immediately after this, the Umayyad Caliphate starts to have tons of internal trouble. There's uh, a lot of disagreement about who should be the rightful heir to Muhammad, whatever. Um, a lot of ideological and, and temporal debates about that. So expansion kind of comes off the menu. They, they withdraw and are just happy with having Iberia. Um, and then pretty immediately after this, the uh, Umayyad dynasty is, is overthrown um, by the folks that would go on to form the third caliphate, the Abbasid caliphate, or Abbasid mm-hmm. caliphate, in uh, 750 CE. Um, so the remnants of the Umayyad clan flee to Iberia um, and basically splinter off, and Iberia becomes sort of an independent or quasi-independent uh, uh, emirate uh, ruled by an emir, uh, which is less than a caliph it's sort of strictly a temporal ruler though often they'll claim spiritual uh hegemony as well Mm -hmm. um and they are mostly focused on the city of cordoba uh which is modern cordoba uh and so yeah there's just this little iberian realm it's most of the peninsula uh they refer to it colloquially as al andalus uh the people there are andalusians or muwaladi which is a precursor to the term uh, mulatto, which I think is not like something we call people anymore, but basically yeah, it's just an old, <laughs> uh, an old uh, Arabic term for people of mixed Arabic and whatever heritage. So these are 
you know, that becomes like the dominant sort of ethno-religious group in, uh, mm-hmm. in, in Iberia, most of Iberia. And uh, so now we're going to kind of fast forward a bit. Um, I mentioned that, that initially most of Iberia is controlled by Muslim rulers. This doesn't last long. Uh, there are a few stubborn uh, Visigothic kings. They call themselves, and at first, really, they don't control much territory, but mm-hmm. they maintain small kingdoms in, in the north uh, where Christian, Iberian, and Visigothic culture pre- uh, prevail. They, they mostly speak uh, vulgar descendants of Latin, um, and they are super duper stoked on the idea of getting those filthy Muslims out of Spain uh, yeah. and, and out of Iberia. They just do not want them there. Um, and so that that concept, let's kill the Muslims and kick them out of Spain, in a nutshell, is the, the cultural concept of Reconquista. Um, Northern Christians are obsessed with the idea of taking back what is rightfully theirs in their mm-hmm. eyes. For their dynasties, but also for the glory of Christ, uh, and the popes in Rome are are also pushing them and funding them and saying mm-hmm. you really need to do this, yada yada. Uh, so over the next seven hundred and eighty-one years, uh, a succession of Christian kingdoms, uh, the main ones which sort of absorb one another and fight one another as they also fight the Muslims, um, are uh, Galicia, Asturias, Leon, Castile, Aragon, uh, and Navarra. Um, and they would sort of vie, contr- vie, for, vie for control with their southern Muslim counterparts. Um, there are a ton more of these, so I'm not going to name them all, but uh, mm-hmm. Cordoba is a big one, Sevilla is a big one, um, and then there's tons of other smaller sort of individual splintered um, successor states to the Umayyad emirates called uh, Taifas, um, because that, that emirate of Cordoba does not last long. It splinters within a century into tons of little duchies and sub-kingdoms and whatever you want to call them. Yep. Just ripe for the taking. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that, so that actually is a big part of why the Christian kings would end up being so successful. A, they were mm-hmm. willing to fight each other and kind of marry into each other's families and glom into larger powers. But B, their enemies were pretty divided and not mm-hmm. as willing to cooperate and didn't have this sort of cultural zeitgeisty idea of like, whether we hate each other or not, we all share a common goal of pushing out these invaders. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, but meanwhile, in the South, I mean, it's this is we're talking about hundreds of years. So it's becoming heavily Islamicized. Um, and I want to because I think I mentioned it in a little bit in like a weird kind of way too late way. But like I want to make note of the fact that the Muslim rulers of Iberia were relatively and this is true of Muslim administration across, mm-hmm. you know, their empire or cultural sphere at this point relatively lax with their subjects um Mm -hmm. not only do they have uh place immense emphasis on um well-run bureaucracy bureaucracy uh but also on the arts and sciences and um the intellectual growth of their domain the muslim world is like the shining beacon of humanity at this point in a lot of ways yeah. and uh part of that involves uh, a pretty high degree of religious tolerance especially for this era so yeah. basically in most muslim controlled lands you could be whatever religion you were especially if you were um an abrahamic uh, religious adherent so jews and christians particularly got um, a great degree of acceptance. You were just expected to pay something called jizya, which was... Yeah. I'm uh, going to pay you jizya to fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> it was a, a pretty mild religious tax. And if yeah. you paid that, you got left alone. Um, so you could 
live and work and whatever. Um, obviously, if you converted to Islam, you were, you know, a step above. You know, this is not like a modern progressive thing, but like it was pretty good for the medieval yeah. period. Um, <clears throat> and also, like people are just like better educated, literacy skyrockets. Like you know, the peasants are treated relatively well. You know, it's not a, a utopia, but for again for the medieval era, it's like it's pretty dope to live under Muslim rule. But you're better off there than almost anywhere else on the world. Maybe in China, you'd be like equally, you know, well off. But um, so the wars are basically infinite. They rage on and on and on. Um, but generally, the trend is that the Christian kings in the north are slowly uh, retaking the peninsula. Um, and I want to make note here that in 1139, uh, the kingdom of Portugal uh, becomes oh, a yes. thing. It's the first of these uh, kingdoms to uh solidify into its its modern i think portugal if i'm not mistaken at least in europe but perhaps globally um is the the oldest national uh boundary that's still exactly the way it was then does that yeah. does that make sense that's i've always found that concept kind of weird to explain but portugal yeah. as it exists on a map today has existed that way relatively unchanged since 1139. And that can't be said of many other countries, if not any other countries. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and then again, just we're like bouncing around. In 1469, um, most of these other kingdoms, with the exception of Portugal, have all come under the control of Aragon and Castile. Uh, so there's no more Navarra, there's no more Galicia, there's no more... Ar um, what am I missing? Doesn't matter. Um, uh, Galicia, Aragon, uh, Navarra, Leon, uh, Asturias. Le Le yeah, Asturias. Uh, Asturias. Uh, Leon. <laughs> and so at this point, yeah. they're not doing the lispy thing yet, but that will become a thing soon. Yeah, Castilla. Uh, <laughs> so Ferdinand II, King of Aragon, and uh, Isabella I uh, of Castile marry. The crown is united under Ferdinand because of sexism. Um, and it's just referred to as the crown of Castile. But for our uh purposes we're going to just start calling it spain because shortly afterwards it will just be that but um at the time it was technically the crown of castile but they're, they're it's spain it's spain spain's a thing now so we've got spain we've got portugal and at this point the only remaining muslim taifa uh the remaining few have sort of consolidated around the city of granada um mm -hmm. so it's the emirate of granada um, and eventually, Granada, now that these last two kingdoms in the north have combined, they're just too strong. And Granada falls in January of 1492. And you might remember that year, um, mm -hmm. but we'll get back to that in a minute. So shortly thereafter, uh, the Spaniards, who are awesome and have just been waiting for their shot, uh, they totally keep up with all the religious tolerance, and they're just generally wicked cool to their subjects, and they accept Muslims into their lands, and the utopia continues. So, yeah, that's the end of our yep. story. Yep. Perfect. No, I'm just kidding. They're Catholics. So what they do is they immediately expel all of the Jews uh, who have been in Iberia for centuries and centuries and centuries. Um, they just summarily get expelled. And yep. Muslims... These are the Sephardics, right? Uh, these would be Ashkenazi. Oh, um, no, I mean, they were Ashkenazi probably a mix of both. They're Europe, probably right? a mix of both, but yeah, yeah I the know. Sephardic. There's oh, a different word for Iberian Jews. There's a, a third cultural group. Um, I believe it's Sephardic. I mean, well, Sephardic is is Middle Eastern Jews. There's a there's a third term. Oh yeah. Yeah, I mean, and maybe no, maybe that Sephardic Jews were Spanish Jews who were forced to convert to Catholicism or face expulsion. Hmm. 
Right again. I what am. the Western the Western Sephardim. Oh. Yeah. Well, I thought there was a different thing. Um, oh, was it like Ladinos? Maybe that's what I'm thinking of. I don't know. Um, <clears throat> so whatever. Back them up. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's more important to you than it is to me, and I'm happy to let you have it. So uh, yeah, so they're mean, and they also impose like crippling taxes on remaining Muslims. Um, and even that doesn't last long. Um, remember, I mentioned that that jizya was like relatively manageable. The Muslims wanted you to be able to pay; they didn't want to like yeah. crush you. The the Christian kings wanted to fucking crush you, and yeah. uh, you know they'd been spending all this money developing new arms and armor and technology and shit. And they're like, we're gonna get ours now. Like now that Iberia is ours, we're about to fucking milk this shit. And uh, they also like immediately like the the flourishing of math and science and philosophy and all that stuff just comes to like a screeching halt i mean it's not gone but it's it ain't what it was mm-hmm. um and then they just decide you know what fuck it we're gonna force everybody to convert to christianity and you're all gonna become good catholics and so there's no longer any tolerance of alternate religions it's just like everyone the jews have to leave and any remaining muslims just have to convert or we're gonna fucking kill you and that uh, again, not necessarily relevant to today's episode, but that leads in a large part to the um, the Spanish Inquisition, which is going to take place very shortly and would also make a great episode. So mm-hmm. uh, we won't talk too much about that. But if you've heard about it uh, or expect it, um, which no one does, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it's 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 going to be a great time in Iberia. But we're going to slowly kind of move away from Iberia. <laughs> So yeah, uh, now Spain and Portugal are a thing, and and they've spent 800 years fighting each other and fighting the the Muslims in the south, and they've gotten really good at fighting and kind of not much else, like as seen by their immediate uh, (laughs) just sort of stranglehold placed on their own now free and uh, quote-unquote liberated peoples. Um, 
and they they don't really know what to do with themselves i feel like and 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 so it's like well we're good at fighting and conquering uh why don't we just try to keep doing that let's like see if we can find somewhere else to do it cuz we need money and uh and i don't we don't really know how to just sit tight and be happy so um remember i said the the reconquista ended in 1492 You've probably heard that year, especially if you're an American, which most of you are, I think. Um, things start to get very imperial and very yeah. colonial. Some bad things were going to happen to some folks many, across the oceans. <laughs> many bad things are on the yep. horizon for many, yes. <laughs> many, many brown peoples the world over. Um, yeah, they're they're not going to be super chill. They weren't chill to the Muslims and the Jews, and they are not going to be chill to indigenous peoples. Nope. Um, so, as I said, like, after centuries of basically constant warfare, the Iberians got exceptionally good at killing folks. But not only that, they also developed a lot of really important high medieval technologies, like plate armor, um, cavalry tactics, really, really high quality steel, so for swords and whatever, uh, cannons, like rudimentary gunpowder weapons. They don't quite have... Like, maybe early, like, arquebuses are a thing, but they're not, like, generally in use, but, like, cannons are a thing and mortars are a thing. Um, and also, and this is really important for Spain and Portugal, particularly Portugal, honestly, um, the, the the naval technology is just flying through the stratosphere at this point. Um, mm-hmm. Portuguese and Spanish shipwrights are making some of the most advanced seafaring vessels the world has ever, or the most advanced seafaring vessels the world had ever seen, capable of traveling through the open ocean and in the Atlantic, which is where most of this was. Um, it's not like the Mediterranean. It is wild. And so suddenly you have all these people who are saying, you know what? We could we could skip going through Muslim lands and paying all their stupid taxes, especially because now they hate us because we kicked them out of Spain. We can yep. skip going through the Mediterranean to get to Asia to get spices and silks and furs and we can't go over land because there's bandits and mongols and whatever so maybe if we just cross the atlantic we can get to the other side of asia and you've all heard this and you know this guy columbus uh, cristoforo colombo this fucking genoese bastard uh he is one of many but he famously in 1492 petitions uh ferdinand and uh what the heck's her name isabella um of the crown of castile and it's like, hey, look, I'm gonna, I, you know, fund me. I'm gonna take the Nina and the Pinta and the Santa Maria, and there's a fourth one that I forget. And they, they, they we're gonna cross the ocean. I'm gonna find India or whatever. Weren't uh, there only those three? I thought there was a fourth one that sank like really early, and oh, so no maybe. one remembers oh, it. No. Yeah. Um, that whole expedition was nuts, and they just kept like ships kept sinking, and they kept stuffing more people on boats. And yeah. It was, it was just wild. Um, but yeah, so uh, and the crown is like great. Yeah, we would love to conquer more lands. That's sort of our thing. We would love to spread Christianity to more people. Also, our thing, and we would love gold because that's really above all else. That's really our thing. Uh, yeah. We really want to just become fabulously filthy, stinking rich, and just have all the money and all the glory. And uh, the Pope will like us. And uh, every ten turns, he'll give us a thousand gold pieces, and it's going to be awesome. Yep. Uh, so, yeah, so Columbus does that, and he goes, and, you know, we know he's, or at least most modern historical minds are of the of the mind uh, that Columbus's mind was shitty, 
and that he was a bad mm-hmm. dude and that his arrival in the new world was marked by rape and murder and enslavement and forced conversions and all the terrible mm-hmm. things um so you know whatever bad dude and that's kind of all we're going to say about him mm-hmm. um but uh the important thing is that this is sort of setting the groundwork for a whole period of Euro- western european colonial ambition and right now like Portugal and Spain are, like, the only two players in the game. Nobody yeah. else has these dope ships that can, like, go wherever they want. Um, they're keeping that technology under under lock and key. Um, and other countries like the Netherlands and England and whatever that would later become big players in this are, are centuries away from that. And so <clears throat> Columbus, as we know, does not reach Asia. He finds a new world. Uh, yep. Uh, uh, he's in the Caribbean. He lands in Hispaniola, which is now Haiti and the DR, the Dominican Republic. Yep. And uh, proceeds to be a piece of shit. Um, and doesn't I, admit I, that. I do want to say that the the naming schemes, the, this would happen all throughout colonialism. It's just these people were just not very... No. They, 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 they were not very uh, original. Mm-hmm. It's like, what is this? This is Little Spain. Yeah. <laughs> and then what do they call Mexico when they finally get there? New Spain. Yeah, New Spain. Yeah, it's all, it's very, they're, yeah. And it's all yeah. just to just to suck up to the kings, right? Like, just to be like, mm-hmm. oh, it's... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, initially, Columbus doesn't even admit that he didn't find India. But finally, people are like, listen, man, like, this is not... This is not India. People have been to India. <laughs> not a lot, but like people have been there. This is another thing. So eventually, like yeah. whatever, they admit that this is the new world, and um, the Portuguese make landfall in multiple islands, and, and eventually in Brazil, uh, Brazil, and mm-hmm. uh, so these two powers need to figure out like who can conquer what, because frankly, with a whole world now at their fingertips, there's still just not enough indigenous territory to go around. Yeah. Um, so this leads. It's funny. To- I think it was. Um, I think it was last night. Maybe the night before, mm-hmm. I actually saw like one of these like super early maps of the New World. They're bananas. I, sh- I should I should have thought to uh um to save this one, but this one was actually it wasn't that bad. Mm-hmm. Like they definitely like understood the scope mm-hmm. of it. Like you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it was like, and you know it was like kind of the right shape. Uh, Central America was kind of presented much thicker and uh obviously they didn't really know much about oh the pacific coast of north america but it, like it actually wasn't that bad they definitely knew that they found a shit ton of land so an important thing here and this is part of why that's the case and it's also why it's impressive yeah. that they were able to make a pretty good map and some of them are yeah. recognizable um but yeah, they hadn't figured definitely... out they hadn't figured out longitudinal navigation yet that wouldn't be a thing for like another two and a half centuries or something um or one and a half something like that and sometime in the next 200 years that'll be discovered but like the prime meridian is not a thing so all they know how to measure is latitude i'm sorry is longitude and uh yeah longitude is horizontal on the globe right i always forget yeah so they i think they they understand longitudinal uh navigation but not latitudinal and so um the way that they navigate is like fucking bananas. They, they're, yeah, they use the stars, but also like they would just keep, navigators would just keep these written ledgers. And there's a word yeah. for them, I forget what they're called, that just said like, when you come to this reef, take a left. Like it was like using yeah. MapQuest, but to travel across the entire fucking planet. 
And eventually, yeah. once they discover longitude and latitude and have, like, modern navigation and can use, like, an, uh, a compass and all this stuff, um, th- it becomes more like having GPS. Yeah. But at this point, literally, it's like they print these directions. Out. And so these, these ledgers that different explorers would keep were, like, fiercely guarded. And that's also yeah. a big part of how... Spain and Portugal kept dominance because they wouldn't let other people have their their discoveries. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't share that with other people. And so if you wanted to get from, you know, England to the Americas, you were just going to have to start across the sea and hope you fucking made it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, luckily there's a lot of land over there and and yeah. so people got lucky, but yeah, it was crazy. The idea that these people were fucking just hopping on big old wooden boats and like heading out mm-hmm. into the 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 distance, it's it's wild. Yeah, and this wasn't really that long after like T maps were a thing. Yeah, too. exactly. Which team? Which for the listeners, T maps was this like idea that the world could be divided into three parts mm-hmm. based on which son of Abraham <laughs> made up that part. Mm-hmm. So like Europe, so there it was kind of like shaped like a T, where you had Europe and then Africa below a line, and then to the right of both of those across another line was Asia. Mm-hmm. I can't remember which son of Abraham each of them were. But yeah, uh, th- this was also supposed to explain, like, tie into, like, humoralism and their, like, temperaments and stuff like that. <laughs> it's just like... Yeah, it's, it, there's, it, as always, <laughs> with European innovations, there's a, there's racism mixed in there. Yeah, for sure. sometimes the racism is because of which son of Abraham you descend from. Right. And also, your temperament is based on the fact that it's really hot there. Mm-hmm. So it's just like... And then that's also why the skin darkens. It's like all of this yeah. insane... So they're like both like circumnavigating the globe, and then also saying shit like, you know, you're from a descendant from a certain son of Abraham, and the weather's hot, and so that turns your skin black and makes you inferior. Huh. <laughs> like it's just like okay, what? Dope. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. Okay. Oh man. QED, I guess. <laughs> well, that's cool. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess all this to say, you guys should look up uh, maps from this period because yeah. they're they're nuts, and a lot of them you're just like, holy shit! Like, and even yeah. crazier, like look up like old Roman and Greek maps because they made yeah, them, yeah. and some of them were were pretty good considering. But like, yeah, sometimes yeah, you, it's you it's really just like people going, going along coastlines and being like, okay, we make a bump here, we'll do a yep. divot there, and then a big bump here. Nope. Um, like if you tried to draw a map right now with no cartography training, that's you're basically there. You're you're yep. it. and not knowing like <laughs> yeah. the landmass. Like if you like took a bike ride around your neighborhood and we're just yeah. like, okay, I can do that. That's like what we're talking about. Yeah. Um. So, uh, basically having no as we're talking about right now, no knowledge of the geography of the new territory that's been discovered uh, across the Atlantic. The Pope, Pope Alexander the Sixth, proposes uh, that. Spain and Portugal just draw a line down the middle. It's a very uh, was that Herod, King Herod, who suggested cutting the baby in half. Uh, it's a very remember. Herodian uh, solution <laughs> to the problem. So they just yeah. chop. They just chop the world down the middle. Um, oh, it's a very uh, Alexandrian too. Just sure the Gorgian knot. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so there's there's this line, a meridian drawn uh, approximately 370 nautical leagues west of the Cabo Verde Islands, Cape Verde. Uh, and that is uh, just the meridian, and this treaty is ratified by both countries. They agree to it, Spain and Portugal, and it's called the Treaty of Tordesillas, um, which is – did I not write the date? I think it's like 1494, I think, is when it's ratified. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm actually positive it's 1494. 
and so you know it's halfway between Cape Verde and uh, the, the the islands that Columbus discovered. And basically, on one side, Portugal can have everything. On the other side, Spain can have everything. Now, this line on a modern map would look pretty curvy and pretty silly, but mm-hmm. they basically stick to it. Um, and the rest of Europe doesn't really it doesn't really matter to them at this point. But Spain and Portugal, it does come to kind of define the way that they split up the world after this. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, thus for us, it's it's significant. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, we're going to try to tie all this into a narrative that involves Cortez and leads up to, you know, the conquistadores and, and arrival in Mexico. Mm-hmm. Um, so you see basically everything that I've described prior to this point, sort of laying the groundwork for a particular sort of man uh, mm-hmm. to emerge in the early years of Spanish and Portuguese imperial conquest and expansion. Uh, These were generally men. I mean, they were always men, right? So I'm Mm going to say man. That's not me being sexist. These were always fucking men. We're talking about Catholic medieval Europe. Nobody gives a shit about the women at this point, which is, you know, whatever. We don't need to comment on that. It just is what it is. Mm -hmm. Uh, Generally men of relatively insignificant noble lineages. So they're born with a claim to some degree of rank, but basically not much else. Um, so whether they are youngest sons with many older brothers or uh, sons whose fathers had lost their lands or whatever, fallen on hard times, these are people that had noble blood um, but not much else, and they had a thirst for wealth and power and rightful claims to that. And now there's this whole new world uh, mm-hmm. to exploit to kind of meet their goals. Um, these The time of the fifth sons has arrived. Yeah. Well, seriously, that's that's yeah. a great way of putting it. The book is called Fifth Son, but it's not referring to that, but that's a great point. Did you do that I on know, purpose? That. Yes, I did. Oh, that was really good. I like that. <laughs> and maybe she'll make that joke in the book. I don't know. But yeah. <laughs> um, So, uh, yeah, the time of the fifth sons will <laughs> arrive in the land of the fifth son. Yeah. Um, so the Aztec fifth son, just so, so this doesn't sound silly, the reason the book is called Fifth Son is because in Mesoamerican mythology and Aztec mythology, they believed that the Earth had been destroyed four times previously, um, and with mm-hmm. each destruction of the universe or whatever, a new son was born, um, S-O-N, son, or I'm sorry, S-U-N, son, and, uh, and so they were living in the time of the fifth son. And, mm-hmm. and whatever. And there, I'm going to talk more about that myth next episode because it's awesome. Um, and their ideal idea of why they came to primacy and how they helped the universe be reborn and all that. It's, it's so fucking cool. But anyway, mm-hmm. I digress. We got to talk more about uh, flea infested fucking mustache men. Um, so okay. they were, they were flea infested. You can't argue it. They all had mustaches, look them up and they yep. had fleas. They were dirty. They were smelly and dirty. I know, but why you got to say it like that? Cause it's true. I don't like, like but them. But why you got to say it? I like told, I, I remember I said this was going to happen. I said, we're going to talk about them the way they were and they're going to sound nasty because they were nasty and you're not going to like it, but they were, they were bad and they, they smelled bad and they acted bad. Okay. They were good. They were not good. And so. Uh, these people became the conquistadores, conquistadors. Um, so they have a deservedly complex reputation among most modern historians. And so you, you've probably heard of a lot of these famous uh, conquistadores like uh, Pizarro, De Soto, Balboa. Um, and they were not all Spanish and Portuguese, but they all served the Spanish and Portuguese crown, which is why they're called conquistadores. Um, and they were mostly Spanish and Portuguese. Um, and it's likely... Um, that 
when you were learning about these, the, the, the sort of gritty details of their exploits and their motivations were kind of largely obfuscated by the, the sort of Eurocentric whitewashing that, that modern Western curricula are so adept at. Um, yep. But for younger listeners and those in the know, um, you likely have at least an inkling of the true story behind just about every one of these dudes. Um, they're all kind of similar in that there's a lot of bloodshed and rape and mm-hmm. their conquests tend to be extremely fast and brutal. Um, there's a lot of racism, ethnic cleansing, and then, of course, good old forced religious conversion. Um, because it's all okay as long as you make them Catholics. It doesn't matter if they die if they were absolved of their sins first. Yes. Um, and this is an officially licensed view by the Pope. Uh so in short, they made it their business as conquistadores to claim, quote-unquote, new lands for their crowns, and then, if possible, to just systematically eradicate any resistance and convert those lands into um, Catholic cash cows for their sovereigns. Just churn out as much money as possible and enslave the people yep. and do whatever you can. Uh, the potential rewards for this for a conquistador were were staggering like you could become extremely personally powerful and wealthy and so a lot of these fifth sons um or whatever step forward i really like that that's really good i'm I'm proud of you (laughs) um they're they're kind of willing to do whatever it takes to kind of achieve this and that's exactly the kind of man that the kings and and queens are willing to finance because they're like fuck it yeah i'll go kill some uh some indians which is what they called them because of columbus uh i'll I'll go kill some say say what you will about louis ck that he's a sex pest weirdo freak um but he did have that really good joke that one time where he said when the conquistadors came over they're like oh so you guys are indians huh they're like well no no we're all this is an entirely different new place and they just go ah you're indians (laughs) (laughs) yeah pretty much i mean that's 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 it that's how it happened um we're still gonna call you that so (laughs) Um, so most prevalent of these angry young men uh, for our story is a guy who you've probably heard of, uh, Hernan Cortez. Years ago my heart was set to live, oh, and I've been trying hard against unbelievable odds. It's so hard in times like now to hold on. The way to be stuck by at my side is God. And there ain't no one going to turn me around.
So he was born Hernán Cortés de Monroy y Pizarro Altamarino in 1485 in Medellín, Spain. Not Medellín, Colombia. Although this no. is, we're gonna have some very similar years Medellin. of plato y plomo, plato o plomo, yeah. uh, plato coming o plomo. up. Yeah. <laughs> um, but so he was born just seven years before Columbus made landfall in Hispaniola, and you know a, a decade or so before news of that journey sort of started trickling back. Um, he was the son of a military officer um, with a prestigious lineage, but no real money or lands or whatever. He was like a captain in the in the Spanish military. Um, you may have noticed that Pizarro was was in his name. Um, the famous future conquistador Francisco Pizarro was his like mom's second cousin or something. Um, mm-hmm. And he would go on to conquer the Inca Empire in Peru, uh, similarly shittily um, in a few mm-hmm. decades. So, fun family. Um, not much is known about his early years. Uh, we do know that he was sent away at 14 to the city of Salamanca to study law. Mm-hmm. Um, hope his parents were hoping he would become a lawyer. Um, he got trained as a notary, which is, I guess, the first stage in that at that point. Um, but he returned home at 16. He wasn't a lawyer, but he did have a pretty firm grasp on Castilian legal codes, which are going to help him immensely very shortly as yep. he works his way up and sort of, sort of sneaks around laws and legal codes to become immensely successful. Uh, so by the time he's like a young adult man, uh, his father's distant cousin, Nicolás de Ovando, had been appointed governor of the new colony of Hispaniola, which is, again, the island that uh, Columbus colonized, became uh, Haiti and the Dominican Republic. So at 18, after kind of hemming and hawing for a while, he travels to the island in 1504, uh, becomes a citizen of Hispaniola, and is immediately granted an encomienda by Ovando. You guys might have heard of encomienda. People describe it in various ways, like as a plantation, whatever. But really what it was, it was kind of more complex than that. So encomienda was a right uh, that was granted to Spanish nobles, usually, um, that that gave them the legal right to exploit indigenous labor uh, in a given municipality to whatever degree they saw fit. So it's it's slavery, but with these really interesting caveats. Uh, it's slavery, but right. Well, no, no. It is, I mean, it is slavery, but it's different from yeah, like no, chattel slavery. Yeah. So they're not given specific individuals that they own, right? Yeah. And the way that they make this, I think this is just a way to feel better about it and not call it slavery. Yeah, they're given the right to to in a given indigenous community say, I can at any point impress a hundred of you into labor to work on my my holdings whether that's a mine or a sugarcane plantation or a cattle ranch or whatever and that municipality their chief or their head person or whatever then has the ability to kind of dictate which of their people are pressed into service at any given time does that make sense imagine being one of these indigenous people and you're like what yeah yeah there's no like no we're just gonna hang out like we've been doing well and so that's sort of the tack and that's why you'll see um you know chattel slavery of enslaved african peoples become mm-hmm. so popular in the new world eventually is because like it's really hard to force someone to do something in their own backyard mm-hmm. they know all the paths they know how to get away you know what i mean and mm-hmm. so that's a little tougher in the caribbean um because you know they're islands so really yeah. what that ends up amounting to is is slow genocide and ethnic cleansing um these people are are over the next century are essentially eradicated because they they don't cooperate and yeah um 
they're not uh, they're not trapped in some totally foreign place without any connection to their ancestry or their language, as you know yeah. Europeans would later do to African slaves. Um, so they fight back, and yeah. they just they can't they can't compete, right? The Spanish and the Portuguese are just too strong. Yeah. Um, so it's really sad. Um, but so, so that's what the uh, Taino, right? Uh, there's the Taino, the Arawak. Yeah. There are lots of different cultural groups. Yeah. Um, and I, I didn't spend a ton of time researching that, so I don't want to get too deep into it. So I don't yeah. say something wrong. But yeah, those were two of the main. Yeah, um, Taino is like Cuba and some of the other on other islands too, maybe. Yeah, I, I just know the Taino and the. I think Arawak. they're maybe also Haiti, where Haiti is. That's Hispaniola. Yeah. yeah. Um, very likely, and I, I, you know, at some point would like to do more on that, but uh, I yeah. just don't have the, the, the know-how to dive too deep there. Um, so yeah, uh, so these communities ostensibly were allowed to maintain a degree of autonomy, which basically just meant they were, like, allowed, quote-unquote, to, like, go to church on Sundays, which they didn't yeah. really want to do anyway, so it's, yeah, they're living a pretty bad life, and the Spanish are not introducing a lot of, uh, goodness into this paradise that they just conquered um so thus begins the early provincial career of hernan cortez he's given a small encomienda um, which means he can impress natives into his service at a certain level um so seven years later and this is big he would participate in the conquest of cuba under uh another uh staffer of uh the governor of hispaniola ovando Mm -hmm. uh, a man named diego velazquez de cuellar um and he uh Cortez, that is, would be granted a succession of important roles in the administration of Cuba um, after the subjugation and enslavement of that the, the native peoples there, who I think you're right were the Taino peoples. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So Velazquez is named the governor of Cuba, um, and this looks really good for Cortez as long as he can stay in this man's good graces. Now, that's mm-hmm. where we learn a little bit more about Cortez. He's not very good at staying in people's good graces. He's a fucking prick. He's just, like, not yeah. a nice guy. He's extremely ambitious, very driven, very smart, but also, like, by all accounts, just a brutal dude. He works the native people under his command to death. He is just not a nice person. Um, yep. <clears throat> but that this is sort of the time for, for not nice people in this part of the world. Yeah. They're They're flourishing. Um, <clears throat> so he successfully pushes for the expansion of the encomienda system into Cuba, um, and giving nobles more rights and greater control over the native populations. And so he's got tons of free labor, both here and back at home in Hispaniola. Um, and so he comes to be a dominant political force, particularly in Cuba. Uh, during this time, he begins courting Governor Velazquez's sister-in-law, a woman named Catalina Juarez. Um, but he was also at the same time kind of flirting and fooling around with one of her sisters. Uh, yeah. and both girls love him cause he's apparently kind of dashing and handsome yeah. and he's stringing them both along and Velazquez is not into this. So eventually he's like, basically says like, you're going to, you're going to marry Catalina. If you want me to still like, like you even a little bit, you need to marry my sister-in-law. Yeah. Um, so he does. And, um, so he, at this point, he's like in his, his late 20s, early 30s. Um, mm-hmm. He serves several terms as the mayor of Santiago, which was the capital of colonial Cuba. Yeah. Um, and at this point, the first tentative expeditions are being launched uh, into this mysterious land to the west, uh, yeah. which is said to be far more vast than any of the islands in the Carib- Caribbean or Caribbean. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one that always gets me. I say parts of the Caribbean, but you travel to yeah. the Caribbean. I don't know. Heck, uh, there oh, I guess I say that too. Yeah, most people around here do. It's weird. Parts of the Caribbean, 
go to the Caribbean. Oh, yeah, I've never even realized that. Yeah, that's weird. Uh-huh. Um, so there's even whispers that this land isn't an island at all. It might be a mainland. Um, and so they kind of know that there is this, like, North American mainland. But it's at this point that people are just starting to kind of go into, like, Florida. I think that's DeSoto. And uh, um, Mexico and whatever. They've reached California eventually. Um, so surely if this is really a, a, an inland, a, a mainland, there's going to be tons of riches and arable land and slaves and all sorts of good shit. And so Cortez finds out that there's these, you know, expeditions launching and he's like getting some serious FOMO. He's like, yeah. um, you know, I, I want to go. And so they're, of course, talking yeah. about the land that, that we now know as Mexico. Um, but they have not yet encountered the Mexica after whom Mexico is named. And so it's mm-hmm. not called that yet. Um, eventually they're, they're going to call it new Spain. Um, and so shortly after these expeditions, uh, a semi-permanent colony is sort of established on the coast, um, in the Gulf of Mexico, which is Maya territory. Mm-hmm. And Cortez is like, look, I am no longer satisfied being like a local married big shot. I'm in my early thirties. You know how your early thirties can be. You start thinking like, Hey, like did I do all the things I was supposed to do? Am I, mm-hmm. am I making enough of myself? Cortez is just a guy like you and me, dude. Mm-hmm. Except like worse, you know. And so he resolves yeah. to petition Governor Velasquez, who's still the governor, his brother-in-law, um, if he can himself lead an expedition uh, of his own into this new territory. Um, people start sending letters back talking about massive deposits of gold and silver, and so I'm sure that had something to do with it. Because as we know, uh, the Iberians like money; they like to get rich. Um, and they were starting to hear whispers, uh, from some of the native populations like, oh no, like if you're looking for gold, if you're looking for, for wealth and power, you're in the wrong place, man. You need to march Mm -hmm. inland. You need to meet these people in Tenochtitlan, the, these, these Mexica, these Aztecs, they are the power, you know? And so, as I mentioned, these coastal settlements are kind of in Maya territory, but the, the Mayan civilization was a couple centuries past the, the pinnacle of its power and influence. And at this mm-hmm. point, the Mexica are the people that everyone's talking about. You know, even this far away, we're talking hundreds of miles away. Everyone now has heard of Tenochtitlan. They've heard of the Mexica, mm-hmm. the Nahuas, and this great city that has become like the center of commerce and, and mm. trade and culture and whatever. And so if you're a guy like Cortez and your whole thing is like, I want to go conquer some folks and find some riches, you're like, I need to fucking find this city. Yep. And it's it's one of the early, like, I think, inspirations to the myth of El Dorado, like the city of yeah. gold. It's, it's Tenochtitlan is one of these sort of mythical inland cities that, like, the Spanish are now hearing about. And they're like, oh, I can't wait to yep. fucking get in there and go. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, as insane as it must have been, for these like ancient people to like see these like way more technologically uh, not ancient sorry these um indigenous people to see like way more technologically advanced like ships on the horizon coming in it must have also been pretty fucking nuts for these spaniards to go like trekking through the jungle yeah basically yeah in like central america and then up way into the mountains and then come out and then see Tenochtitlan. Yeah, it 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 and it just like what was, uh, the fuck is going on over here? We'll definitely dive into it more next episode. But some of the descriptions are basically that. I mean, uh-huh. we talked a little bit of, about it last week or last time too. Like when the Spanish saw Tenochtitlan, they literally couldn't believe their eyes because <laughs> this was a city that at that point was rivaled only by like Paris and Rome yeah. and you know cities in Asia. Like 
there weren't cities like this in Spain. It was huge. Yeah. There were so many people. It was obviously, it seemed relatively primitive in some ways in that the architecture yeah. was mostly adobe and um, whatever. Like, to them, these people look like savages, barely clothed, whatever. But mm-hmm. um, it was a marvelous city. Mm-hmm. And they were suitably awed by it. It was also clean. Mm-hmm. It didn't smell. Like, there weren't, like, dead animals rotting in the streets. Like, Europe was fucked. Iberia was yeah, gross. Yeah, people just throwing shit out the window yeah. while you walk down the street. The, the Christian Quite kings of Spain, shit. like, when they kicked the Muslims out... Iberia turned into a shit heap. Like, it was a nasty, dirty place. And that's, like, objectively just true. You know, I wish it wasn't. Um, but it's true. And so, yeah, they were... And, and she also... Camilla Townsend, who I think I forgot to mention. She's the author of, of the book Fifth Son. Draws a great comparison, right, um, to the, the meetings of these ancient peoples and the Spanish... Uh, and one of the main factors, as we kind of probably all can sort of know, in like quote unquote civilizing an area is uh, is annual agriculture. So like staying in one place, being a sedentary farmer, and and learning how to plant and cultivate crops. Now that had existed in Europe and more importantly the Middle East and the Old World, right, for like eleven thousand years at this point, um, and had only existed in the new world for like two or 3000. So in a lot of ways, this was like, uh, uh, the Spanish, you know, invading ancient Mesopotamia in terms of like level of development, you know, um, think that's how different the, the technological advancement levels were. Mm -hmm. Um, so they, they really were in, in many ways an ancient people. Um, and while ancient Babylon might have been a powerhouse and amazing and filled with wonderful marvels of art and architecture, yeah. if Imperial Spain invaded ancient Babylon, we know who's going to fucking win. It just is mm-hmm. what it is. If Imperial Spain invaded Imperial Rome, we know who's going to win. Like, it's just not yeah. a contest at this point. And so, <clears throat> um, yeah, it really is like a, a meeting of basically alien mm-hmm. worlds. Yep. Um, so... You know, Cortez's goal is to just make himself as rich as possible. And also kind of following in the footsteps of Ovando and Velazquez, he's thinking, like, maybe I can found a colony and get a little governorship for myself, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so when he asks Velazquez, Velazquez agrees. Um, but he makes it clear that, like, he's pretty impatient. He wants Cortez to get his show on the road. And also he imposes some pretty strict limitations on the the expedition. Mm -hmm. This is purely for exploration. He can claim land for the crown, but he's not going to claim any land for himself. He can't establish a colony. He's going to go in, figure out, try to find these people, come back and report, and they'll figure it out later. Now, part of this is, you know, they don't want to overextend and fund some expedition that's not going to make it home. But also, you know, these governors are all also thinking like, ooh, look at all this uncharted territory. Maybe yeah. I don't have to be governor of some shitty island. Maybe I could be governor of some massive territory. So they also yeah, want especially because like those islands are like pretty fucked, especially for the Europeans. Like, yeah, you know, as much as they say that like the Europeans went there with diseases, which they did, obviously. Like the Europeans also got to these places. Like I mean, yeah, like malaria, like, Cuba, Hispaniola. These places are fucking like brutal at this period of time. Yeah, before like inoculation against diseases, and so like you're getting like yellow fever and shit like that. Yeah. And it's also like also syphilis. Syphilis, I think, is a new world disease. It is, yeah. Um, oh. So that's something that they and you know they like yeah. doing nasty things to native women yeah. and treating them really badly. So yeah, I guess that's one but little yeah, bit so of you have revenge. like yellow fever. That's also just 
running through yeah. a lot of these Europeans as well. It's going both it, ways. Know, in these islands. Yeah. Right. Every, just everybody's getting sick and everyone's having a bad time. Um, and you've yeah. all probably heard go- about that, but that's another important thing when we talk about yeah. it. It's literally like two different worlds meeting. They don't even have the same fucking germs. They don't even yeah, have the same yeah. diseases. Like, yeah, these uh, these uh, human settlements have been separated for so long that in many ways they are they are living on different planets. Like they they yeah they're like an invasive species, right? <laughs> um, now, obviously, as I said, Europe and particularly Western Europe were filthy, yeah. and so yeah. these people had more, you know, exposure to disease and germs because they would literally just have like shit and fucking dead animals and stuff in the streets so like they are more robust when it comes to disease resistance because they have to be you know Mm -hmm. these are the surviving lineages of the black plague and shit so like you know there there's Mm -hmm. definitely uh, a difference in their their tolerance to things like this but yeah they're both getting ravaged yeah um so anyway cortez you know velasquez says you can go but come back and you're not going to claim mm-hmm. anything for yourself, right, pal? Uh, but Cortez obviously yeah, has other plans. Yeah, gives him a slap on the back. Yeah. Cortez <laughs> obviously has other plans. And eventually Velazquez starts to kind of suspect that he's probably not going to listen to his, his edicts. And so mm-hmm. um, eventually at the last minute as Cortez is like finishing preparations for his journey, uh, mm-hmm. Velazquez sends him a letter and is like, you know what? You can't go. Like, I, I, yeah. I feel like, I feel like you're not listening to me. I'm, I'm already yeah. nervous about how this is going to go. You can't yeah. go. And this, uh, not to make it seem like he, he's not trying to prevent like cruelty to indigenous peoples yeah. or anything. They don't give a fuck about that. He's he just, wants to be yeah. the, the cruel one. He wants to be the one that, that <laughs> benefits from this, not this upstart Cortez <laughs> who like dicked around his sister-in-law. Um, but so Cortez is like, you know what, this is my shot and it's like about to slip away. So he basically looks at like his lieutenants or whatever and is like, let's just fucking go tonight. Let's go. And worst case scenario, like it's better to ask for forgiveness than permission. We'll just say we didn't get the letter. (laughs) Like it didn't come in time. And so they, they just bounce, they, they slip away. And so technically at this point, Cortez is an outlaw against the Spanish crown. Um, but he's like, you know what, if I come back with a ton of money and like conquering some amazing thing nobody's going to be mad at me because that's our deal. Like they'll forgive me. And so he's banking on that. And so he heads out. They stop in another city, Trinidad, which is in Cuba, not the Island Trinidad. Um, They pick up some more men and supplies. And uh, so all told they leave for Mexico uh, in 1519 with about 500 men. Um, That includes slaves and all sorts of stuff. It's not like just Mm -hmm. 500 fighting men, Uh, 11 ships, 13 horses and like three or four cannons. And that's it. That's a um, lot less than I mm-hmm. figured. Yeah, it is a lot less. And uh, they, you know, they have like steel uh, armor and swords and yeah. uh, spears and pikes and shit and whatever. There are no horses in the New World. So yeah. 13 armored cavalrymen against kind of an infinite number of naked <laughs> natives is still pretty nuts. But yeah, it's not like an army. It's it's a relatively small expedition. Um. And so they head out, and that that's it. That begins the fateful journey of uh, Hernan Cortez, the, the, the killer, the conquistador, towards uh, his inevitable clash with the Mexica in central Mexico, um, mm-hmm. who by now were flourishing under the rule of, of perhaps their greatest and certainly now their most famous king or Tlatuani, uh, Moctezuma II who sometimes mm-hmm. people call Montezuma. That's just because the Spanish had a hard time with Nahuatl. But it's now we, we, we recognize that it's more accurate to say Mo- Moctezuma with a C. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And so, yeah, we're going to see these two, uh, you know, famous or infamous figures kind of meet and how the, the, one of the most famous now conquistadors of all time stacks up against the greatest of the Aztec Kings. Yeah. Uh, but if you want to hear about that, you're going to have to wait, what, two weeks? Yeah. Two weeks. Because uh, Evan's next week. And uh, yep. yeah, we'll finish this up with that. And that's going to be a really interesting, fun, sad, fascinating one. So yep, that's it for today, folks. I hope you enjoyed. Uh, and I, this is one of my favorite stories that I've done so far. So yep. Yeah. Yeah, that was awesome. Thanks. you want to squeeze in no uh, nope no nope. we're going uh, pretty long already so yeah i'd say that's about good um Sweet. yeah thank you everybody for listening and checking us out who checked us out for the first time with the ptk episodes um got some feedback from some of our longtime fans uh and they they really liked that one uh they had the i think the right uh outlook on it which is skepticism which I think is always important when uh, sort of reading, uh, you know, learning about or reading about any any parapolitics. You know, if you really have to, I really do believe in doing the reading yourself. Um, yeah, because yeah, you know, anything that gets filtered uh, or anything that you know is presented from somebody else who read is also going to be filtered through their own, you know, biases and experiences and preconceived notions. Uh, so I do, uh, I do, you know, recommend reading doing the reading yourself but yeah it's great we've gotten a really great feedback on those episodes yep and um got uh we've got another i won't really give away too much but another planned uh guest episode coming up that's right which should be awesome was that probably next month um, you think yeah sometime next month i kind of quoted him on a month uh might extend that somewhat just based on our other episodes but we'll see okay um but that will be about a figure that is I'm not going to say beloved, but definitely leftists find themselves infatuated with. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, so anyway, thanks for checking us out. I forget Please who it is. Rate. I know who the guest is. I forget I forget who the figure is. You'll have to tell me off air. Yeah, I'll tell you off air. I, um, I know you told me. I just don't remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'll tell you off air. Uh, and, uh, yeah, so please rate and review us on your podcast app of choice. We finally got our first 
one star. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, Apple. we did. They yeah. didn't write a review, the cowards. But yeah, we finally. Yeah, so... yeah, the, yeah. So whoever <laughs> did that, if you're listening to this, you are a pussy. Right, well, but also a legend. I'm happy. I mean, I feel like it's a sign that you. Uh, yeah. That you're making it if you're finally if someone hates what you do. <laughs> Yeah, seriously. No, no, I agree too. That's why I've been waiting. If you feel strongly enough about well, or something. you feel strongly enough about something we said that you fucking <laughs> rage like rage fucking give us a I don't guys. I don't think it's worth reading most of those, but I, yeah, uh, if you had to like rage leave us a one star then uh, awesome. Yeah, I loved I, it. It's great. <laughs> um yep. so yeah, we're, our so our sterling the, record has been shattered. Yeah, so shouts out that loser who left us a one-star review. The ah, whatever. Loser. <laughs> You're not even a loser. I just wish he would have wrote like a, a yeah. long, long note about it. Yeah, I'm guessing at some point we said something nice about socialism or communism, and they just like... Yeah, that's probably it. I've had a, a yeah. couple people, actually. Um, mm-hmm. I remember when we first put out the show, I had mm-hmm. multiple people that I like know in person mm-hmm. Uh, complained to me about your first episode because we mentioned not like about you specifically but because we joked about i think it was in the first episode we talked about uh the bombing of hiroshima and nagasaki is like one of the most cowardly acts in history i think is what you said war crime and i had like a couple people be like you know great you're doing a great job not you know that's really not okay to say though (laughs) I was like, what the I, fuck? It's just like, what the fuck? What the fuck? Like, whatever, yeah, anyway. <laughs> I hope it's yeah. something like that and not just that, like, we're doing a legitimately fucking awful job. Yeah, no. Well, I'm going to think about it for the rest of my life now. That's I hope yeah. that's clear. <laughs> um, either way, if you hated our show that much and you're still listening, thank you. And otherwise, we just wasted a bunch of time talking to someone who's not even going to hear it. Yep. All right, well, thanks. And, you know, <laughs> everything that Evan said, we'll have links to Twitter and all that shit in the notes and... We'll see you guys next week for another episode Left Unread. Peace. Bye.
I still can't remember where 